As most of you may realize, I've started a seven-sermon series for the mornings on evangelism. This morning we saw in Luke 5, 1 through 8, that we are to do evangelism obediently, to let down our nets for a catch. And what I want to do in these Sunday evenings with you is to address some questions, some objections, some training issues when it comes to being personal witnesses for Christ. And the first evangelism issue we want to look at this evening is the question that some people ask, what about the heathen? Are unbelievers really lost and going to hell apart from faith in Jesus Christ? What if they never hear about Christ? Are they still going to hell? If they are, is that fair? Is there salvation for heathen people outside of Jesus and his cross? Won't the heathen have an excuse when they face God? These are some of the questions that people might ask when they know we're Bible-believing, born-again Christians. Biblical answers to these questions are vital because if we get answers to these questions which are right and we know, therefore, a big enough God, we will retain and keep and preserve an accurate enough gospel. On the other hand, if we get the answers to these questions wrong, and we believe the lie that everybody gets to go to heaven, it's an entitlement, or we believe the lie that God is unfair, we will doubt and we will go mute when it comes to sharing our faith. Again, so what about the heathen? Are unbelievers really lost and going to hell apart from faith in Jesus Christ? What if they never hear about Christ? Are they still going to hell? Is that fair? Is there salvation for heathen people outside of Jesus and his cross? And won't the heathen have an excuse when they face God? These are some real questions that need real answers. So will you turn with me to Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1 is going to answer these questions. Romans chapter 1. As you're turning to Romans 1, may I just give you a little context here? Romans 1, the first part of the chapter is Paul conveying his greetings and his desire to visit the church at Rome. He's been previously prevented from doing so. Then he talks about in verse 8 and following that he thanks God through Christ, remembering the Roman Christians' faith, and he prays for them, longs to see them. And then the great theme verse of the epistle to the Romans, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then the scripture verse that saved the Roman Catholic monk Martin Luther, when he studied it, when he pondered it, when it wouldn't leave him alone, verse 17 for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith alone. 
Lord used me to win a Lutheran woman on her deathbed to salvation in Christ when she turned me off and turned me aside when I tried to share the gospel with her multiple times and visiting her in the hospital. And then the Lord showed me to give her this verse. I said, would you like to know Martin Luther's favorite verse? She's Lutheran. Oh, yeah. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Not the Lutheran church. Not good works. Not infant baptism. And the Lord unfolded her heart and opened her mind, and she trusted Jesus, and two weeks later, she was in heaven. And we jump in at verse 18 of Romans 1. I'm going to read through verse 18 through 32, because these verses answer the questions I've raised. In this message, Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts, foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over. Let me tell you, four times in the next verses, it will say God gave them over. When God abandons a rebellious lost person, it's a form of wrath. Therefore, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the, cre the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That means let it be so. For this reason, God gave them over, second mention, to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is tomorrow morning's front page in the daily newspapers of Nassau. The main point of these verses that I have read and then carrying from 
chapter 1, verse 32, all the way chapter 2, all the way through verse 20 of chapter 3, here's the main point of that big section of Romans. You ready? The main point of these verses, Romans 1.18 through chapter 3.20 is this. Listen. All unbelievers are lost and face God's righteous judgment apart from saving faith in Jesus. All unbelievers are lost and face God's righteous judgment apart from saving faith in Christ. This is true of Gentiles. That's verses 18 to 32 of chapter 1. This is also true of morally good people, so-called. That's based on chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. By the way, when it comes to morally good people, my favorite illustration of that is the mother who is cooking dinner and her little boy says, Mom, I'm five feet tall. The lady put aside her cooking and said, How do you figure you're five feet tall, Austin? He had a six-inch ruler, and he was five of those. That's what the morally good woman, the morally good man does. They take a six-inch ruler and call it a foot. They measure themselves not against holy God as revealed in his word, but they measure themselves against somebody else that's worse than them. And so this fact that all unbelievers are lost and face God's righteous judgment apart from saving faith in Christ is true of Gentiles, Romans 1, 18 to 32. It's true of morally good people, Romans 2, 1 through 6. It's true of Jews, Romans 2, uh, 17 through chapter 3, verse 8. In fact, in case we miss it, God says in chapter 3, verse 9 to verse 20 of Romans, it's true of all mankind. All unbelievers are lost and face God's righteous judgment apart from saving faith in Jesus. And with God, all means all. Romans 3.23, you know it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so those apart from Christ, whether they are in Miami Beach, Los Angeles, Prague, London, England, Santiago, Chile, Tokyo, Japan, Nassau, Bahamas, those who have not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior are going to face a righteous judge and be banished to hell unless they hear the gospel, respond in faith in Christ, and they're gloriously saved and spared. That's why we have to let down our nets this week. Share our faith. And the may I ask you a question track is just one way to do it, but it's a way to do it. And so remember that Romans 1, 18 to 32, the verses that I have read with you, make the point that all unbelievers are lost and face God's righteous judgment apart from saving faith in Christ. And God is not unfair in judging unbelievers. 
Go back to Romans 1.18. Let me reread. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. When I was young and was in a friend's in-ground swing pool, one of the big games was to get a flutterboard made out of styrofoam and to try to suppress the flutterboard under the water by standing on it, sitting on it, having more than one person get on it, to suppress the flotation properties of the styrofoam flutterboard. We couldn't do it. (laughs) People can suppress the righteousness of God, the truth about God, and they sometimes succeed all the way to the grave in hell. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God, that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. Truths about God are evident because God makes those truths about his attributes and power as creator evident to people paying attention. Every uncivilized culture and people group that archaeologists and anthropologists have discovered, do you know what is true of everyone? They have a God concept. They do not lack a God concept. They believe there's a creator. 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So God is not unfair in judging unbelievers. Why? Because God has revealed himself to all persons through his creation so that the truth of his existence and his divine attributes are clearly evident. That's what verse six or 19 says. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them through creation. Now that brings us to the whole concept of the fallacy and the tremendous faith position in something that is not true that evolutionists have. The evolutionist would have a person believe that something was created by something. But what created the something? And they have no answer. Big bang. God is the uncreated start of everything. He's the creator. When you look, some of you know what Mount Rushmore looks like. It's a stone-carved sculpture of four U.S. presidents, their faces and their upper shoulders. Nobody in his right mind looks at Mount Rushmore and says, wow, isn't erosion something? (laughs) Look at the creation. Look at the intricacies of the human body. Look at the symmetry of flowers. Look at the variety of fish species. There's a creator. He's made that evident. In general revelation, the world's people are without excuse with respect to rejecting God the creator. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. 
How has God revealed himself? In general revelation. God has shown his created human race himself, his attributes, his existence, his reality in what God has created for them to enjoy. General revelation. God, according to chapter 2 of Romans, verse 5, promises that there will be a day of wrath and of revelation. 2 verse 5, and because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Ever heard something? An armed robbery, a molestation of a child, murder. Said, when is God going to do something in the day of his wrath? The people are storing up for themselves, rejecting Christ and being stubborn, evil. God promises that there will be a day of wrath and of revelation, and God teaches that his future judgment against sin will be justified judgment. It will be righteous judgment. No one will stand before the great white throne judgment seat of Christ It's great because there's no other greater judge in history. It's white because there's no more perfect and holy a judge. And it's a judgment to end all judgments. Revelation 20, verse 15 and following, the great white throne judgment. And in that great white throne judgment, no one will be able to call for circumstantial evidence to defend themselves because God is omniscient and omnipresent. And he knows exactly what happened, not only on the outside of a sinner's life and behavior, but on the inside of a sinner's heart. His thoughts, his intents, his motives. Jesus said, if you call someone an idiot, you've committed murder. That's what raka means in the Sermon on the Mount. If you call someone Raka, that's an empty head idiot. Jesus says you're guilty of murder. Judge knows that. And this judgment on the day of wrath and the revelation that is to come at the great white throne judgment that will be a justified judgment, that will be a righteous judgment, this judgment will be an impartial judgment. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2, please. For there is no partiality with God. God doesn't look at an unredeemed politician and go, oh, you are a politician? God is impartial. God is no respecter of persons. God plays no favorites. He is unimpressed with our resumes. He says in Isaiah 64, verse 6, that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Well, from general revelation that God shows to all men everywhere, we move, thank God, to special revelation because general revelation cannot save anybody, only condemn people for rejecting it. But special revelation is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Special revelation. Go with me to the Gospel of John, please. Chapter 1, to see the special revelation as opposed to the general revelation of God. 
The special revelation of God is Jesus Christ's person and his work. And in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, notice that Christ is special revelation, and we're so grateful that he is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that he might, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. That's Jesus. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, that is to the Jews. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But, one of the most important verses, words rather in Scripture, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to them who believe in his name. And who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me go back to a phrase in verse 14. And dwelt among us. The Greek means he pitched his tent with us. Jesus Christ entered the campsite of the planet Earth, and he pitched his tent in our campsite. Amazing. Going back to 14, the end of it there, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ was the perfect personification and blending of grace and truth. All grace is mush. All truth is a hammer. Jesus Christ blended grace and truth perfectly. 15. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me, because Jesus Christ is uncreated. He wasn't created in the virgin birth. He is uncreated eternal God. Verse 16. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus Christ pitched his tent in our campsite so he could fully explain God the Father who is invisible. Special revelation. And then the Lord Jesus, you know what he said in chapter 14, verse 6, after he had told his closest followers that he was going to die on the cross and they didn't like the idea one little bit and they were starting to get panic attacks about it, he said to them, he said in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again 
and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then skipping down to verse 6 in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, people who would have you to believe that God would be unfair to send anybody who didn't believe in Jesus to hell, people who have you believe there must be a second way to get to heaven other than Jesus, must think that Jesus was either a liar when he said that or a lunatic when he said that. The people who would have you try to believe that Jesus was a liar when he said that would say he knew that he wasn't the way, the truth, and the life, but he lied about it. Those who would want you to believe the lie that Jesus Christ was a lunatic when he said that would say he thought he was the way, the truth, and the life, but he wasn't. Now, Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is certainly not a lunatic, but Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And so what he said everywhere in Scripture, including John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He spoke what was true. He spoke what was telling. He spoke what was and is timeless. And he spoke true north that never moves. True north. Jesus died for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Excuse me. Jesus died for the whole world. 1 John 2, verse 2. 1 John 2, verse 2. We'll get there. 1 John 2, verse 2 referring to the Savior, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Propitiation means satisfactory payment to heaven. This verse is saying that in potentiality, Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross, his sacrifice of blood, was the acceptable payment for the world's sin in potentiality. But people must reach out with the hand of faith in Christ to get the benefit. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus. And so the Lord Jesus' sacrifice in its potentiality, in its efficacy, was for everyone. But it's only to be received by faith in Christ. The way is narrow. The road to destruction is broad. Not all the people of this world are going to be saved and go to heaven. 1 John 5, 11 to 12. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, not in tribal worship of idols, not in being sincere to worship the sun or the moon or leopards. And the witness is this, 
that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. That's plain and clear. In potential, all can be saved. In reality, only an elect minority will be saved. The pardon for sin is offered to the whole world, but is received only by those who will believe in Jesus. Still in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. John, the gospel of John, 5, verse 24, we're turning to these verses to see that pardon for sin is offered to the whole world, but is received in actuality only by those who will choose to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. John 5, verse 24, Jesus' words, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Implication being those who hear his word, and refuse to believe on him who sent Jesus, do not have eternal life. It says, going back to the positive of what it actually says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. That's you this evening if you're a believer. You've passed out of death into life. The old you is dead. The new you is alive. One day when you're physically dead, if that happens before the rapture of the church, you will never be more alive. D.L. Moody, we're seeming to get to him twice in one Sunday. He said, when you hear that Dwight L. Moody has died, don't believe it. He'll be more alive than he ever has been. Those, sad to say, are eternally lost when they personally decide, decide to reject God's revelation of himself, first a general revelation of himself as creator, and then a specific revelation of himself in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ, and in the scriptures. Specific revelation. But you know, there's a pattern we see in scripture that those who respond to general revelation will receive more revelation or light. Go with me to Acts 10. Very interesting account in Acts chapter 10, beginning and jumping in at verse 23. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius, this is the Gentile, Cornelius was waiting for them. And he called together his relatives and close friends. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. That was a mistake. Peter corrected it. Verse 26, but Peter raised him up saying, stand up. I too am just a man. And as they talked with him and entered and found many people assembled, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. I hope God has shown you that. 
that when you share your gospel track this week, maybe it's with a Haitian person that the rest of this nation is really angry with for taking a job. I hope God has shown you that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why, Peter says, that is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for, and so I asked, for what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius, the Gentile, said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent to you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. By the way, if you want to hang a nice sign on this pulpit for me to enjoy and would be practical and biblical, hang verse 33b on this pulpit. We are all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. That would be a good sign for this pulpit. And so this Gentile Cornelius, who was seeking after God, who was worshiping God, who was praying to God, who was giving alms or financial offerings to the cause of God, was not yet saved. And the person in the vision told him to call for Simon Peter. And Simon Peter went. Verse 34, and opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And the word which was sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from the Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all the people who were opposed, oppressed excuse me, by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen before him by God, that is to us, who ate and drank with him after he, had, he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message, and all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. Jews used to see the Gentiles as dogs, not dogs that are lap dogs and shampooed and get groomed like my dog, but the dogs we see in Nassau on the street eating garbage. Jews said Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles, who are apart from the covenants of God, 
are like scavenger dogs that in packs can hurt you and kill you. Here were these circumcised Jewish believers who came with Peter to meet Cornelius and the crowd that Peter, or that Cornelius rather, had assembled. And the Jews, the circumcised believers, 45, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues, exalting God. And then Peter answered, by the way, the tongues they heard were known language spoken by people who previously didn't know the known language. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. We're saying that Cornelius responded to general revelation. And as he did, God gave Cornelius more light. That's a principle that's still operative today. When someone responds in general general revelation and creation to see that there is a creator, God will be faithful to send them more light to reveal the specific revelation of Jesus. By the way, that's why we do cross-cultural world mission endeavor. That's why Wycliffe Bible translators and New Tribes missionaries are translating God's word into the heart language of people who do not have a Bible. General revelation is enough to damn, but it's not enough to save. And so the bottom line, if we go back to Romans chapter 3, please, verse 19. This is the bottom line tonight. Romans 3.19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. 20, because the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. There's no excuse. General revelation in creation. The righteous law of God to those who have an Old Testament. All people are accountable to God for their sin and for their guilt before God, and all people need a Savior. If we didn't believe that all people need a Savior, we ought to padlock the doors of this church and just go sell cars. We don't believe that all people don't need a Savior. We believe that all people need a Savior. John 3.18, we've seen it already tonight, but let's see it again. John 3, verse 18. He who believes, Jesus said, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Because we believe that people who have not yet believed in Jesus Christ alone for salvation are damned to hell, we do world missions. I've prayed for this in every church I've pastored, and I'm praying for it in our church, is that we will present a people tithe to cross-cultural world missions. People from our own congregation who will step up and say, I want to take the gospel where it's not been before. I want to step across cultural barriers, whether it's in the Bahamas, in the Caribbean, in the U.S., in Canada, in any place in the world. I want to do short-term missions. I want to do career missions. I want to sit on mission boards. Whatever the case, I am tenth of the people that call this church their home will be involved in missions. People type. That's why we do missions. Because everybody's not okay. 
That's why we do personal evangelism. Because everybody's not okay before God. We can't say to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, you're okay, I'm okay. (laughs) No, it's not true. That's why we have to do world missions and personal evangelism with urgency. Because Jesus in John 9 verse 4 said, do the works of the Father, for night is coming. Night is coming. We don't know how long we have freedom for the gospel in the Bahamas. I hope until Jesus comes. I don't know. In Canada, my home country, they came so close to passing legislation in the House of Commons to deem the Bible hate literature. And Canadian pastors, if that law had passed, Canadian pastors who preached against homosexuality, against abortion, would go to jail. When I was pastoring in Canada and that was on the horizon, I said, I'll go to jail. I'll go to jail before I stop preaching the Bible and everything it says. If I go to jail, we've got six elders that will preach until they go to jail. And then when they're in jail, I hope that the rest of the deacons will preach until they're all in jail. And then we'll just ask some men to step up who aren't in jail yet and preach every Sunday. And so... John 3.18 is in very close proximity to John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then 18, he who believes in him, I guess believing in him is key. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. People who have not yet believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God are not going to heaven. We need to tell them the way of salvation and pray that they'll trust Jesus. There is not some secondary way to heaven. There's not a plan B. The gospel, what about the gospel? Is it a matter of grace or a matter of obligation on the part of God? God is no man's debtor. Romans 11, verse 35. God is... No man's debtor, or who is first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? God is no man's debtor. For, for because if God owed us anything, then it would cancel out grace. Jesus Christ died a torturous death, humiliating death to give us grace. It'll never be canceled out. Romans 10, 13 to 15. But whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. If. I'm wrapping up. If the heathen could actually be saved by living up to the light that has been given to them and by sincerely seeking without Jesus, then four things. Number one, Romans 10, 13 to 15 would collapse. 
For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. If people could be saved other than through Jesus Christ, those verses would collapse. Also, if people can be saved apart from Jesus... They could save themselves, which contradicts Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Why? Not of works, so that no one will boast. No one will be going into heaven boasting. How'd you get here? I was a filthy, vile rebel, and I transferred my trust to Christ alone, and he imputed his righteousness to me as a tremendous grace gift. How did you get here? I never missed Sunday school. I gave to the poor. Nothing wrong with never missing Sunday school. Nothing wrong with giving to the poor, but that doesn't get you heaven. Christ and his grace gets you heaven. If people could actually be saved by living up to the light that has been given them, but not necessarily trusting in Jesus Christ, then Christ died needlessly. If people could be saved without Jesus, then Romans 3, 10 and 11 would be trumped would be overturned, would be relegated to not be truth. Listen, Romans 3, 10 and 11. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps, that's poisonous snakes, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If people could be saved apart from Jesus by being nice, those verses would not be accurate, but they are accurate. Now, some people say, oh, there's some verses that teach that there are other ways of salvation. Let me just give you two that people might posit or suggest to you that say, oh, there's other ways of salvation. They're both in the Old Testament. Micah. Well, first of all, let's go to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament before 400 silent years. Malachi 1, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered in my name and grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Does that say that everybody in every nation is going to be saved even apart from Jesus Christ? No, it doesn't say that. The verse assumes special revelation and not just general revelation. Jesus Christ's name will be proclaimed in all the nations, if we take his name to all the nations and share the way of salvation with all the nations. The other verse, and I'm going to leave it for you to uh, look up, is Micah 6, 8. What does God require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. Is that what all God requires if you just do those three things that you'll be ushered into heaven? No. This was a direction given to the Jewish believers who were in covenant relationship with God. This was a truth to the Jewish people of the Old Testament time of a sanctification truth. Do justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God if you want to grow in understanding God and being like him. It doesn't say how you get to heaven. didn't tell them how to get to heaven in the Old Testament. It doesn't tell us how to get to heaven in the New Testament and beyond. So let's wrap it up. Are unbelievers really lost and going to hell apart from faith in Christ? I'm sad to tell you the answer is yes. What if they've never heard about Christ? Are they still going to hell? Again, I'm very sad to announce yes. It's motivating. It ought to be motivating. Is that fair? Yes, because God owes nothing to anyone. Is there salvation for heathen people outside of Jesus and his cross? No, that would make room for boasting in heaven, and that would make the cross redundant and add-on. Neither will be allowed by God. Won't the heathen have an excuse when they face God? No, they won't have an excuse because they will have disregarded, number one, their consciences. If you're taking notes, Romans 1.19 and Romans 2.14, they will have disregarded their consciences. And second, they will have disregarded the glory of God found in creation. Romans 1 verse 20. So about the great white throne judgment, no unbeliever will have an excuse. They will be shown by the evidence, the compelling evidence of Jesus Christ, the omniscient, omnipresent judge, that they suppress the truth. God gave them truth and they suppressed it. They suppressed it. That's suppression of the truth is Romans 1.18. But the way they suppressed the truth was by hanging on to their sins. It's like the woman who was looking at washing dishes in her home, and in the backyard her two kids were playing, and as she's washing the dishes, she sees these two young kids, each with a skunk. And she says, children, run! So they did this. <laughs> People who suppress the truth of God take their sins because they love their sins. And they carry them. They coddle them. They enjoy them. They tell other people who are doing them that they're just fine. There'll be no one at the great white throne judgment who will have an excuse before God because they will have disregarded their consciences and they will have disregarded creation and they will have suppressed the truth by hanging on to their sins. If you want some verses to look up on that, the hanging on to their sins, Psalm 14.1 and John 3.19 and 20. Really, The wonder of wonders is not that God would not give heaven to everyone. The wonder of wonders is that God could give heaven to anyone. 